I embrace my loss today. I have to move on in a new direction. I am moving away from technology, now that my brain no longer functions, and I'm on the trajectory to becoming a bona fide writer. I've written two chapters, which tell a pretty good story. Except the sexuality came out already and that's not really me. On top of that, the first love-making scene is woman-on-woman, and that's not me, either. It's an echo of the past. I role-played these kinds of scenarios with a man once upon a time. The man who first fell in love with me. He stopped playing male characters most of the time so that the other females on the mud would stop soliciting him for sexual companionship. He had asked me to stop role-playing sex with others because it's all we had at such a long distance, so I did. And I never really went back, either. A handful of times outside of that, I ventured into that realm, displeased at my own lack of quality. I'd have the urge, or comfort, to seek lovemaking from him even when he pretended to be a woman, so we role-played lesbian sex as often as not. This is when I came to realize that I am demisexual, his brain was more important than his body. What I found attractive and alluring was his essence. Although, his body didn't really leave much to be desired, either. Because I was in love with him, I thought he was handsome, no matter what. I don't know if other human beings can be this way, but I'd wager they can if they tried. I'd wager I'm not alone in a sea of 9.2 billion human beings. God tells me this is the human default. We are attracted to behavior more than we are to bodies. That is, until vanity ruled the day and everything came to be about liposuction, boob jobs, and facelifts. I was talking to the networking 101 guy in my head. I'm crazy, I know. I remember telling him that I'm exactly the same as the last day he saw me, except my boobs are saggy now. He cried and told me I'm allowed to age and stroked my hair and comforted me in all the ways he could. That's exactly what I'm looking for in a man, someone who loves me just the way I am. I have permission to age. You know, that thing that's inevitable and cannot be stopped because it is the very nature of all existence. He gave me permission. The rest of you? You don't. Tuck this in here, gather that there, suck it in baby nobody wants to see the real you. Nobody in this modern age wants to love what's on the inside. I keep fantasizing about men that do, but I know better. It's all about tail. My brothers are vain, my exes are vain. It's only fat guys who warp their idea of healthy that find me attractive. No offense, dude. You know who you are, beautiful enough to take to bed for life instead of simply right now. But I have a question that's seriously important to ask. No judgment. Yet. Why? Why do you jerks take women you don't even find attractive to bed? Keep it in your pants. Understand your body is a motherfucking temple. It is sacred. You are diluting your power and polluting your soul. I can't remember where I heard or read this, but I remember it very clearly. I was reading an older gentleman's account of whoring around in his youth. He said something to the effect of, every time I did that, it hurt me. I didn't realize it at the time, but I did much later. To have sex without love hurt. Is it true? Do you hurt yourselves whoring around? If it's not true, I hope you die a miserable fucking death. God, you know what to do with a fornicator, I am sure. It's in your Bible and everything. I was never a fornicator until I was raped over 1,000 times. No, I started off with Thrawn. I didn't even have sex until I was in love in 21. Now, the reason I was never a fornicator is simple. You must learn from the mistakes of others. You will never live long enough to make them all yourself. Click here to learn about this quote, 
I learned from the mistakes of my parents, eh? My father, the asshole that he is, wanted four wives. Actually, let's sidetrack into his psychoses for a minute, you can hear all about their bitterness contracting herpes afterward. My father was a grading nut job. He absolutely had to have had post-traumatic stress disorder. I would find him in a room, in the semi-dark, punching the air over and over again. He would lie and cover up around it, saying it was shame and work. He believed he was four people in addition to himself and those people came and went as they pleased. I can only remember one was named Goldie, which makes me think of dragons and Goldie Hawn. Wait, I remember a second one being named Sirius. He told me that Sirius put himself in J.K. Rowling's book as Sirius Black and he was the inspiration behind the series altogether, so he dove into the fandom so hard he even wrote PG fan fiction, which I'm proud of him for. Maybe I'll find it and fix any technical errors and publish it here for any fans if it's really as cute as I am led to believe. My father was not all bad, okay? He had his moments of mischief that had nothing to do with his spiritual disease. He liked to tell me there were Christmas weasels that sat around on windowsills to listen to the children around the world and report back to Santa who was naughty and who was nice. He tried to convince me that chocolate milk came from brown cows and you had to shake them up for milkshakes. He also told anyone who would listen that UFOs are real. This part embarrassed me as I'd be stuck in some waiting room, and the man who cannot detect natural boundaries or read body language thanks to the military perverting his nature would force his drivel about spacelings onto other people. He unfortunately died before he could be validated by the octagonal object over Lake Huron. I haven't checked, but I bet they never recovered it, despite the lake only being 120 feet deep at the deepest point. Anyway, they're here. The spacelings. You'll see soon enough for yourself. He must have seen them more than once while he was in U.S. aircraft in Vietnam. I think he also must have been attacked in his own camp once, which is how he ended up in a dark room punching the air. He lived because he defended himself. He rarely spoke of the war, just like most vets, because what he had to do made him ashamed of himself, no doubt. He had to go against human nature for a fight that I'm not exactly sure was necessary, but it happened anyway. I don't know the politics and I don't care, either. Stop fighting. Stop killing. Euthanize yourselves if you hate this world that much. And this is how I lost all my former friends. I opened myself up to the universe and allowed the impossible to be possible in my brain. Spacelings. Who knew? I had to rebrand them, by the way, because you assholes out there with your movies like Mars Attacks. Oh, they come in peace. Pew pew pew. Anyway. My father would insist he was a sorcerer of God. He needed four witches, one for each cardinal direction. I imagine he would have slept with them in rotation. I think he was raped in the war. Like literally. Either that, or by his own father or grandfather. He had an outrageous libido, just like my ex, Ben. That is a sign of being broken, earthling. If you are so sexed up you have got to masturbate or fuck multiple times a day, without feelings of love involved, then you are broken. That's my no white man paper opinion but I'm never going to back down from it. Personally, feeling loved and being in love heightens my sex drive. However, when I spend time alone, it can also climb or rise thanks to ingesting my number one allergen, milk. So think about that, I can make my libido rise by eating something bad for my body. Are you doing that to yourself? All that nonsense aphrodisiac stuff is starting to make sense to me now. Make yourself sick so you wanna fuck. What has this world come to, honestly? 
I am a rape survivor. Because I was raped and shy, I kept away from all the people I could until I left home. My father, being my rapist, was the reason I never took anyone home. Oh, you want to know how he got herpes? Then keep reading. So fucking impatient you can't even listen to the story I'm telling you. I'm trying to tie it all together. He fucked a woman with herpes. The end. I mean herpes saved my life here, okay? He stopped trying to fiddle with me because he wasn't about to give me that. It'd be proof that he was doing things to me, but that's not the reason. It's because it was a curse he didn't wish to share. He could have found women who had herpes, I am sure, if non-monogamy was more culturally popular than it is. I don't think it should gain in popularity, but women routinely rape themselves thinking it's what they want these days. No strings attached, how wonderful. Until you fall in love and cut the rest away and then the asshole you fell in love with is just an asshole you can't deal with and you break up and you're broken for good, no more fornication for you. I'm not speaking from experience or anything now. Oh, wait. I lied. I am. Because my dad and mom contracted an STD, that's right, she was still in the picture, he stopped trying to whore around. Which makes me realize a twat lied to me, telling me he came on to him, saying fucking is fucking. I believe he said that, but now I believe that asshole lied to me about the traumatizing event he supposedly experienced because of my father. Anyway, I digressed. My apologies. Fuck you, James. So what I learned from my parents getting STDs is that it's no picnic, alright? But ah, we have this marvelous, fabulous invention of the internet coupled with this marvelous and fabulous invention of text-based role-playing games, where tons of kinky people go to write out their sexual fantasies at each other, and once in a while some people actually RP. There are no STDs online, so what's the stop me? Mwahaha. Well, falling in love did stop me. That's how you cure fornication. Love. You have to become celibate, wait for the habit and urges to subside, fix yourself the best you can, and start doing anything unrelated to sex. I used to role-play without the intimacy of a closed room online, the equivalence of instant messaging each other but all while pretending to be beauty and the beast online instead, so I role-played more than just sex, too. One of my characters would talk to anyone in an asexual, aromantic sense, so long as they talked back. They loved it too, because I pretended to be real. These shy internet nerd people were getting attention from a real lady suddenly and it made them feel valuable. And this is how I engineered my personality, this is what informed me to be who I am today, this era of intense role-playing. I played a thief, primarily, who exists to lie, cheat, and steal. That's the whole point of it. While I played this character, I developed a code of morality based on what didn't feel good to do, which already included lying. Instead of lying, my character would say nothing. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. I'm pretty sure my character was even on trial once in that game, if not more than once, I kind of pissed off the king one day, let alone the commoners and the barony. This character had all kinds of charisma. You might even remember her, if you played that specific mud, because I played her for years. Consequences and all, I played through them. I made roleplay friends, I made roleplay enemies, I tried to assassinate people for fun. The whole gambit. But my character had a duality. She would stand up to bullies, no matter who was doing the bullying. The king was not a bully, but there were several machismo sorts who wanted to measure their junk and compare, it seemed, so I pissed in their Cheerios routinely. Guess what happened? They stopped raping.
They stopped forcing their vitriol on other people because I told them not to do it by doing it to them. Turnabout is fair play, as my ex used to say. The whole game changed because I wouldn't run away from a fight. I knew the game better than most people. It had thousands of rooms and I knew the pathways to so many areas, I knew the secrets of the game. I wanted to make something to share that knowledge, but the administrators asked me not to, so I never did. I could have, though. I lived and breathed that game for at least three years. That is, until a bully got into the pilot's seat and banned me for noticing he helped a noob cheat because he wanted to get into her pants. Are you calling me a cheater? He said to me right before he hit the ban button. Actually, I wasn't. I was calling you a liar, Rob, for telling me her file was corrupt while she could clearly log in. Being that I've survived a file corruption, I happen to know you cannot log in on a corrupt file. So, thanks for telling me what happened and outing yourself, bro. He cheated more than anyone in the game. He found a bug to help him level up his Templar named Cardigan, whom I refer to as Sweater Boy. And I would torment Maggie Glow just the same because neither one truly learned to stop raping. Not entirely. I bet you two still do it, too, and I'd execute you if I was God. I bet you're glad I'm not, by refusing to use respect for these two jerks, but respecting others who did terrible things like outright murder my character, it really got the point across, you know? Once you stand up for someone who doesn't have the words to do it themselves with a character who is perceived as personified personal power, it empowers them. They start to stand up to bullies, too. I'd run off people from the tavern, a safe place to bicker with the nastiest words you could manage, to protect those who could not protect themselves. Sometimes, I didn't have the full story, so I had to admonish those I protected, as well. This resulted in a lot livelier atmosphere, let me tell you. The number of players steadily increased as I immersed myself in this character who just loved to chit-chat. A people person. The absolute opposite of my offline personality to that day. My offline personality was a goth girl ready to kick your ass for being a chump, glaring at you whenever she didn't want to talk, driving you away with hostile nonverbal body language. My words weren't usually hostile, but I was used to gamer boys. I grew up with scores of them and I learned how to hold my own, you yell at them and tell them off and keep going until they have no snarky replies left. And if they still snark, you stare at them imperiously, like you know you are in the right, because you are, you act off feelings, not ideas of what is right, and you wait for them to back down like scared little bears. They always do. When it's gamer boys, I mean. Some of those gamer boys train for war and become true menaces to society, but most of them just dream of being big boys with big guns in borderlands. Hello, my brothers dear, however, even though they are menaces of one sort or another, they are still tender-hearted geeks beneath that. People with feelings. I watched my brother struggle with polyamory, too, hurting himself. He told me his conquests, which I kept confidential. I figured I was the only person who listened without judgment. I loved him for raising me in the stead of my parents, why would I judge him? I did try to ask questions. I'm not sure if that made him think too hard on things or not, but we all have to have our introspection to course correct to where we ought to be heading for our higher self, our soul plan, our idea of who we need to become. Well, I took my soul plan's idea of who I needed to be and I tested it on that mud. I tweaked it and tweaked it until Kristak was the person I truly wanted to be. Now, most people think that a person's main character on a mud is the person on the other side of the screen, but I wasn't. I had a lot of baby steps to take in reality to get there. For one thing, 
I had to become more extroverted and friendly. After leaving the role-playing gamer groups behind, I headed off into the real world. There, I tried to apply the principles of what I learned as Kristak, slowly changing and evolving into a better and better person over time. If you think being amazing is effortless, go die in a fire. I died so many times, over and over, trying to figure out the perfect me I wanted to be. Sometimes, the rules were too stringent, so I unlaced my corset and let everything hang out and gave myself a break for a while to figure out why I couldn't sustain the personality I strove to curate and develop. To cultivate. There was a different reason every time, I assure you, though I've forgotten what those were these days. Something all my online acquaintances grew to understand is that they could say literally anything, as long as it was respectful, and we could have an intellectual conversation about it. God gave me an example the other day. Sansara, do you think it's okay to marry your own daughter? Get your cringing out of the way. I'll wait. Okay so seriously, the short answer comes back to no almost every time. I have logical reasons and I will share them, but understand there is one scenario I thought of where it could be okay. So listen up. We'll go through the no scenarios first. If you have had any hand in raising a child, it is unethical to have a sexual relationship with the child. I'm assuming there is no relation, by the way, and it's really the girlfriend's kid or something, but understand one thing, sexual abuse has a long history in one-room log cabins. By having input during a child's development, you are grooming them. Period. You are grooming them to be shaped like your ideals. And you, whether you like it or not, are often a hypocrite because you don't care if your words and actions match at all. You make this child crazy with your hypocrisy and therefore no sane decision to have sexual intimacy between these two characters can be made by the younger one. They were taught to believe what you believe. Period. This is important for another reason, too. When you rejoin a group of people who are important to a period of your development, family, college friends, war buddies, you are inviting yourself to become the person you were in that time frame again. You are reliving it. You are actively recalling everything to do with them, and if telepathy really is a thing, they are projecting who they think you are onto you, which can cause cognitive dissonance. Therefore, if you have any hand in raising a young person, your child or not, you should view them as off-limits, even if they think they are attracted to you. Chances are you did something sexual either deliberately or incidentally and they are reacting to that content. Period. You cannot argue this point because these are psychological and scientific facts. Children are asexual until they experience sex. They have no impetus to experience sex until puberty. Well-adjusted children look to their peers for sexual adventures and exploits, not their parents. You are coercing them, making them believe they want to be with you, otherwise. And if you are dating a mother with a daughter who has thrown herself at you, chances are she was molested by another person your love interest was dating or married to. She was taught to behave this way. There is almost never a genuine attraction, and even if there was, you only know the girl because you know her mother. Plus, you know, there's this thing called statutory rape. It's funny how I never see anything about this supposed moral gray area with actual fucking adult children. When's the last time you heard an amazing smut story from someone about their 21-year-old coming on to them? It's always an underage kid, in it? Or a newly turned 18-year-old still in high school being rejected by her peers that only care about a skinny midsection and other kinds of bodily perfection. Give them space. I would say youngsters like this can't really know if they're attracted to older men until they're at least 25 years old. 
Life is seriously confusing while you are being thrown around all your firsts in school. It's so easy to just go where your libido leads you, consequences be damned, because you're not used to having consequences. You want to have this relationship? Find a person who will roleplay it with you online where you are both consenting adults and so are your characters. Because, you know, otherwise, you are a pedophile. Okay, okay, we get it now. So when could it possibly be okay? It's probably never okay because we are walking through life with a collection of experiences. A friend of mine told me once that having more than a seven-year gap meant there was an attempt to control the youngster. I don't know if I agree, but I offer you Vo's advice on that anyway. Someone who has half the number of experiences you've had is going to be less mature, which ultimately leads to a variety of different interests. Unless you're a pedophile that watches kids' shows for fun. Like My Little Pony. Adult males should really have zero interest in that show, yet I know some who write fan fiction. And if you're not a pedophile, then find more grown-up things to enjoy, honestly. Make it easier for us to catch the pedophiles, bro. Anyway, the scenario I thought of that could be okay is irrelevant because of the wording of the question, but here is what I think could work. I'm a 20-year-old bucking bronco and I date Melissa, this gorgeous tattooed lady, because I need interesting things, damn it, and I never forgot the tattoo on her left arm, it was a fire-breathing dragon. We broke it off and I went my separate way, though I'm still not sure why that happened. 25 years later, I meet Tara and she takes me home and I'm mortified to run into Melissa again. Tara is only 22, so I know she's not mine, but now it's awkward, to say the least. And if for some reason Tara and I get married, I have to live with knowing her mother carnally and being reminded of the tragedy we had as children. I fully intend to be good to Tara, but I had no idea her mother was Melissa. Why would that ever occur to me? And beyond which, I never asked Tara how old she was until faced with her mother because I knew she was old enough to drink when carded. There is absolutely no way I'd go back to being with Melissa, but I think she's warming up to the new me. There is also absolutely no way Tara is going to be happy with that, she's looking for a true romantic loving relationship. I know that because I told her that's what I'm looking for and now I have to draw a boundary, I don't think I should see Melissa ever again while dating Tara. It's getting really weird and I'm going to break either one or both hearts if I don't take it upon myself to be the responsible party and stop fostering it. Because, assholes, incest is still a no-no and women aren't typically interested in having sex with other women. The person who is the odd one in a threesome is getting all the fun, which would be the douchebag I was just a minute ago if he was acting on fornicating impulse, which he'd retired some time ago after he heard a bunch of people doing it, including himself especially himself. He had the perfect woman in his arms once and then he cheated on her and she left, never to speak to him again, and he fell apart. She was the best woman he'd ever known, the most patient with his character flaws, the most understanding and supportive, the most caring. Not to mention the kinkiest. All in all, she was the whole package. There was nothing he could think to ask for, but he lost Michelle by being stupid and giving in to sexual impulse one night accidentally sleeping with one of her acquaintances without even knowing it. You should know that women talk to each other, men folk. We communicate things. We update each other on our love lives because we want validation that we've picked a good one. We want validation that we're making the right choices. Validate yourselves, ladies. But definitely don't stop talking. And that's just it. My phobo who was dating Tara gets ousted because Melissa tells her daughter who he used to be how they used to be together a few years before Tara was born, and why she left Danny.
The bottom line is that you can live long enough to make all the mistakes a person ever needs to make if you simply embrace geekery and pick up a pencil, paper, and some dice to roleplay. And I'll leave you with that thought. Have a nice day.